You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1084 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast and also for making the Locked on Hawks podcast your first listen each and every day. Please follow us at Locked on Hawks on Twitter as well as at Apple Podcasts with a subscription there or Spotify, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's podcast will be a two-part episode. This is part one you're about to listen to with myself and Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn is someone I trust implicitly about the Hawks and basketball in general. A, uh, you know, he has coaching background and the X's and O's guy, video breakdowns, all that fun stuff. Glenn is fantastic. He's a friend of the podcast for a long time, and he'll be in, in uh, joining us momentarily. With that said, the Hawks did open up practice today in training camp style on Tuesday for the first time this season after Monday's Media Day. And by the way, Monday I posted a post-Media Day podcast that's still available in the feed right now. Check that out and subscribe, of course. But practice began on Tuesday. There was some uh, some parts of that practice that were available to the media. There was some practice video circulating, which is obviously good to see and feels like feels like home again with some with some stuff uh, publicly available to be seen by the media. Um, Hunter Madonovich looking to be moving just fine. It's obviously good. It's it's not huge, you know, scrimmage video, but some one on one stuff happening that was uh, publicly available. Uh, Capella did not do much of anything today, which was in line with what McMillan said on Monday, but still worth noting. And uh, it seemed like potentially from what I had, what I had heard and been told they took care of uh, Kevin Herter a little bit more. He didn't do quite as much as Hunter Magdanovich. Keep that in mind as well. He has the ankle stuff that he's coming back from in the offseason. Um, Chris Christian, the athletic reporter, that Jalen Johnson, the Hawks' rookie first-round pick, fell on his right foot during practice today and was limping around after that. But Sarah Spencer of the AJC noted after practice that Johnson had his foot wrapped up, but he was walking around on it. So uh, nothing official at this point in time on Johnson, but I want to at least pass that along to you because it was reported by Chris and Sarah in various increments. And also Kevin Schnard of Hawks.com, friend of the podcast as well, uh, talks about Nate McMillan indicating on Tuesday that the Hawks have a bunch of like guys who are locked into roster spots, obviously, a bunch of Exhibit 10 contract guys who will be eventually headed to College Park, and then also a competition for that last spot. Nothing huge or out of the ordinary or unexpected with that comment by Nate McMillan, but something just to note that there's basically only one spot up for grabs, barring some weird trade in advance of the season. So uh, TLC, uh, Jalil Okafor, etc. will be battling for that final roster spot in the coming days. All right, that's kind of all the news and notes for now. Again, I'm recording this on Tuesday evening into Wednesday, so keep that in mind if you're listening to this later on in the week. But the Hawks, again, have a game, yes, a game, granted an exhibition game, but still a game on Monday. They also have an open practice on Saturday. It's actually publicly available for Hawks fans to go in to State Farm Arena and check out. So we're getting closer to game action, training camp ramping along this week, and uh, plenty to get to in the coming days. All right, before we get to myself and Glenn talking about all kinds of stuff in the preseason and sort of a watch guide for what Hawks fans should be looking for in the next couple of weeks, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week, and it made no sense at all and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball, and it's called Game Pick. It's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count for the team's total score, ensuring that an even number of games are played between opponents. 
The days of losing because your opponent's players had more scheduled games that week are over, and so is the fact that you have mindless daily busy work in the previous environment, and if you're giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work, those days are also over. In game picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on all kinds of factors from player matchups to home versus away, opponent's defensive rankings, pace of play, and much more. All of that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty leagues, game picks has you covered. Sleeper has cracked the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love game picks. If you can download the Sleeper app right now and start a league with your friends today, you will not be disappointed. Sleeper's one-of-a-kind game pick is the most strategic fantasy basketball experience in the industry. Check it out and download the Sleeper app today. There are a few things in life that just are not any fun to talk about, and one of them is excessive sweating. It's not fun for anyone to sweat through their shirt for no reason. I'm sure we've all dealt with this at some point in time, and while there are definitely bigger problems in the world, it can certainly feel like a big deal when it happens in the moment. And that's why you should check out Sweatblock and Iperspirant Wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You can simply apply it at night before you go to bed, and then after you go to bed, the next morning you can wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying at all about sweat. Guaranteed. Sweatblock is doctor-created and doctor-recommended, and it works for up to seven days per use. There is also, by the way, a dry shirt guarantee, and if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. It's manufactured in the USA. Sweatblock has a bestseller on Amazon and other places for the past decade. I know it might sound too good to be true, but it absolutely works. You can wear what you want to wear with confidence, and it really is an absolute must-have. If you or someone you know and love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock right now. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or check it out at a CVS near you right now. One more time, that is promo code locked on at sweatblock.com for 20% off. Promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. I am joined now by good friend of the podcast, Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, is back. And hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Brad? I'm okay. Uh, I try to leave you low as much as possible. Uh, I listen to your work <laughs> with uh, with Kevin on ATL on 29, which, by the way, it's worth a subscription and, and listen at, any, at all times. And I read you up history hoops. But uh, I realize it's been like three months since you and I have talked on this podcast, which is a long time and too long. So thank you for coming back. Yeah, it, it, it uh, this is always fun. It always feels too long. But I also uh, admire uh, the impressive rotation you have. And, uh, and I know that's the primary driver for uh, how often I, I come up in the queue. So I'm always grateful for the opportunity <laughs> to talk with you. That's that's not true. You can come on whenever you want, Glenn. <laughs> Even invite yourself on. It's it's totally fine. Uh, I had I had to uh, beg Zach to come on like six or seven times in a two week span, which he was <laughs> grateful to do. But uh, I do appreciate it. And you know, this is uh, honestly. I don't say this with any sort of hyperbole. You were the first person I thought of to talk about this topic with me. And uh, that basically is, and we'll obviously bounce around a little bit on this conversation, but for the most part, uh, I want to talk about like kind of things to look for and what to watch for and monitor the preseason because, you know, it's it's kind of the diehards time of year. Um, casual fans are not necessarily going to be dialed into every exhibition game, every minute, every, every training camp practice and update and all that kind of stuff. But I know that diehards listen to this podcast and also – uh, I'm just trying to get myself prepared as well for the next you know three or four weeks until the season actually starts, and they play a game. I said this before I brought you in. They play a game on Monday as we record this. It's uh, I mean, it's it, crazy. It, it won't count, but it's coming pretty fast here. So I'm looking forward to sort of getting into it. But I mean, what was your impression? I mean, media day just happened as we're recording this. You know, about you know 24 hours ago, something like that. Did you take anything from that, or is it just kind of the performative media day stuff and bring on the basketball from here? 
You know, I, I didn't take as much away this year. Um, I think that's mostly because there aren't that many new pieces. And, um, when there are, you know, like last year, there were nine new new guys, and it was the first year where uh, they were uh, being open about having kind of serious uh, goals for the year um, and, th and things like that. This year, I mean, it feels like they're mostly running it back. I know we're going to talk about what might be different and what might change here in a little bit. Um, but I thought that most of the answers were pretty predictable. Uh, nothing, not too much really surprising. Um, you know, I, I think the bigger stuff that I know we'll talk about was Travis's revelations on on Friday about health status and things like that. Um, but I mean, not, nothing too significant about Media Day apart from the fact that the season's upon us. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Obviously, the injury stuff was the most uh, noteworthy and... Uh, important updates from media day but you know for the most part it's it's kind of a roundup i always think about it that way like you have to kind of be ready to make notes and be ready to go but for the most part for people that are like you know really diving into the basketball side there is not always a lot that's going to be revealed there particularly with a coach like nate who does is definitely does a professional job he's not going to come out and talk about his like his, uh, you know, his uh, tactics and that kind of stuff at media day. Uh, not that he's really ever going to do that for the most part. Nate's pretty buttoned up, but it's not going to be this uh, this grand reveal for the most part, other than the injuries. So, uh, I guess we will start there briefly. Uh, you have the Capella concerns. You have the Hunter rehab concerns. You have Herder and Bogdanovich being limited. Um, and by the way, that's three of your top four wings are limited in some capacity right now. And then there's Capella. So. Uh, anything scaring you? Because I've said for me, the guy who I am most worried about based on just reading the tea leaves is Capella just because it's an Achilles and because he didn't do anything today apparently. And uh, it seems like he might be fine. I mean, it's not like a, an acute injury, but anytime you have your defensive anchor kind of up in the air right now, and I pointed this out on yesterday's podcast, but he was kind of uh, – in and out last year early on. I know you remember that, but in the preseason and he, yeah. he didn't play early on. So it was kind of a little bit weird there. So maybe that gives you some, some more hope, but are you at all concerned about any of these guys injury wise? Well, I mean, I'll head on Capella first, because you mentioned that my biggest concern is Hunter and I'll talk about that in a second, but in terms of Capella, you know, when I, when I start to feel a little concerned about where he is, you know, he's, you know, the, the way the calendar works. He's one year older. He has one more year of uh, of kind of a full season, you know, workload and, and a condensed season. He played an impressive number of games uh, last year and took on a lot of workload in the postseason. Uh, you know, tough matchups um, in the postseason. Um, you know, not that the Knicks have like a All NBA center, but they're they're just super physical um, and challenge um, you know bigs in in, a, in kind of a way and then hit it on the bead and. Uh, and then really, you know, Giannis and, and Lopez. So, so you know, he, he took on a, a ton of workload there. But he also just got an extension. And that makes me feel like um, that the organization probably sees this as a thing, but a manageable thing, a hopefully manageable thing. Um, and I think that it makes a lot of sense why um, they wanted to pursue a guy who has the experience and kind of the scalability that Gorgie Zhang has and why Gorgie would be attracted to them too, because I think Gorgie kind of realizes, hey, I could come in especially early and play a lot. You know, he by definition of being on a, a one-year contract, he's in a contract year, um, and he and I, I think he's a little bit underappreciated around the league and, and coming into a, uh, a a real winning team for maybe the first time in his career. Um, you know, in a way that that certainly the Spurs and Grizzlies weren't of recent seasons. Um, 
but you know, Gorgie makes a ton of sense um, there. Um, but I, you know, if there were natural reasons to be concerned about, you know, this, his status coming into the season, I think the fact that he got an extension um, is reason to feel a little better about that. But uh, Hunter's my biggest concern. But we can kind of go back and forth on like, yeah. that anything there. I mean, I see why you'd say that about Hunter because, of course, he had the sort of not a, not a lost season, but a lost second half of the season last season. And obviously, you know, anytime you have a longer term injury like that, you get a couple of those false starts. I think it's totally reasonable to be concerned about Hunter uh, even more than Capella. I think my lead in Capella is just that, you know, Achilles are tricky. And also, they kind of can't afford to be without him. I think we kind of all know that on some level, but particularly right now without a Kongwu available, yeah, Gorgie definitely helps. He's a solid backup center type, but Capella is their defensive anchor and the guy who kind of, not single-handedly, but certainly was the biggest part in them being a solid defense last season after being a bad one for a few years. Uh, he's just kind of indispensable in a way that, you know, not that Hunter isn't quite there yet. I mean, Hunter's going to be very important to them long-term and short-term, but if you're trying to pick one guy to win a game today for the Hawks, like Capella is probably the one that you would take. Um, but still, I think your point is a valid one on Hunter, though, because we just kind of haven't seen him at least in a large swath in a long time. You know, he played he played in the Knicks series and had sort of a, a ramp up at the, at the end of regular season, but uh, we just haven't seen him. I mean, we, did, we there was some Twitter video today, which is a, which is a positive development. He, he looked like himself uh, in one-on-ones, but that's one-on-ones. It's very different from actually playing basketball, but it seems like he's at least uh, somewhat on track, which is a positive. Yeah, um, the, I guess the procedure is, um, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, part of this is, you know, they played uh, pretty deep into the postseason. And so that as a result, they had a shortened, uh, you know, off season. And, you know, and he, thankfully, I mean, I guess they uh, shut him down, you know, a couple games into the first round. And I guess hopefully that gave him a little, a little head start. They certainly missed him, um, especially against the Bucks, in my opinion. Um, but for me, it's, it's the, the impact of his, um, potential issue around kind of ramping all the way up is what kind of role do you carve out for him in this, his third season, he'll be extension eligible at the end of the year. Um, and do you see himself as like, you know, for example, one of the three most important players on this team, say three, you know, two, three years down the road, what is that offensive role? You know, how much usage are you steering his way? How much, how often are you running things for him? And then the, on the other end, you know, he was effectively last year kind of a defensive point guard, um, you know, defending the other team's point guard and allowing them to shuffle kind of Trey, whether it was Herder or whoever on the week, Bogdanovich or someone else. Um, and, you know, with, I know the issue that he has, I have questions about, you know, can he handle, for example, a whole season of being in that role? And that's maybe apart from center, um, it's the most demanding defensive role is to be on ball kind of all the time. Um, and, and, you know, and when I try to kind of assess even by myself what my own, you know, evaluation is of his, his worth uh, to the team in terms of what that might look like in terms of a contract, in terms of what that looks like in terms of an investment in him individually this year, that's a pretty ambiguous situation to me. And, and that creates, I, I think, a pretty kind of uh, – big set of challenges in terms of how you approach him uh, in this season. I mean, thankfully they have a lot of depth to deal with, you know, should he uh, miss any significant time, hopefully that won't happen. Um, but I think the bigger impact is just kind of 
um, his own individual development path and what type of prioritization should there be in steering offensive usage's way and which defensive role you steer his way and what that means for how you construct lineups in the broader roster to include him. We'll have more with myself and Glenn in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is Indeed. In the sports world, GMs and coaches ask questions to find the right players, and when you're hiring, you can use Indeed assessments to help you make sure that you can find quality candidates with the skills that you need. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even with the interviewing. Don't simply hope that your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment that you post a sponsored job. And with Indeed assessments, you can choose up to 135 skills tests to help you find the people that are applying to your jobs with the skills that you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than any other job site combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And you can get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit right now at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone. And honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites. But for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein, the calorie range is 130 to 180, they only have 4 to 5 grams of sugar and they only have 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board, they're all tasty and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, you're 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. I totally agree. I, and I think it's interesting as well. Something I have almost even forgotten is that, you know, Hunter's breakout in the first 20 games or so last year was under Lloyd Pierce. And he did play under right. eight at the end of the season but in a very limited way um, when he finally came back. And then also, I guess the next playoff series was kind of the only time he played real minutes under Nate. And, you know, some of the, some of the changes that we'll get into later on in the podcast, it wasn't like a totally different system, but um, we don't kind of know how it's going to look necessarily. And you talk about you know, defending point guards, and that could be taxing on a guy. You know, you, you, you might think it's the other way around when you're when you sort of asked to guard somebody bigger than you. But when you're running around chasing smaller point guards, that's sort of a lot of pressure on your legs and a lot of you know burst that you have to um, sort of use. And I think that Hunter is a good athlete, and obviously you want him to be 100% healthy. But the role on both, both ends of the floor is very interesting to me as well. And you know, you can't replicate that. You know, everyone's talked about this forever, and I know we have too. Being that six eight, do everything forward that everybody wants. Like he does all those things, and yeah, they have some depth, but he's kind of the guy that they can't replicate. I mean, Cam Reddish is similar in terms of his length, and then maybe defensively, uh, do some of the stuff, and then offensively, maybe stuff that you could do with Bogey and all that. But Hunter, there's a reason they invested what they invested to get DeAndre Hunter and what they saw in him last year, and how excited they all are. 
So, you know, we, we're not going to know about the medical uh, other than just uh, hopefully they take it easy on him. You know, the new, the new medical staff uh, has been overhauled, so we don't really know what's going to happen and how they're going to approach things. You know, famously, the previous staff um, was pretty uh, conservative. Like, uh, you know, the timelines were pretty long usually, and they had those false starts with him last year. I'm not going to claim like I know about Hunter, but you know, some of the messaging was not great around Hunter's uh, knee last year. Like he had, like, like I, keep, I keep saying false starts, but that's kind of the only way to put it. Like they would, they would say, look, he's ramping up. And then suddenly he wouldn't be ramping up anymore. Um, so it's kind of scary on some level, but when you have the whole off season and now he seems to be on track, that's a positive. And then you kind of get into what we just talked about, what you just brought up about like what his role actually is and other than, you know, a 17 to 20 game sample, we kind of haven't seen that. And that was a different staff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to your point, like, you know, Cam is, you know, a similarly kind of a similarly sized guy. They have a different physical profile, of course. But, um, but I mean, no one has, no one who can play the three legitimately has like his face up game. And his ability to attack opposing bigs when he gets uh, kind of draws a, a cross match of a you know, big guy in front of him, the ball, the development he he's had with kind of that that uh, jab technique he uses to set up the defender in a surprisingly quick first step, uh, that whole package, uh, even though he's um, you know still needs to kind of come along as a ball handler to put it all together in in the most um, impactful way, and just his ability to kind of catch and shoot and and, and make shots that whole. Um, kind of the versatility of his package is is, is pretty unique. And, and and like you said a few minutes ago, that's part of the reason that they moved up and invested so much draft capital to get him. You'd like to see, ideally, him kind of put that all to use for a full season. And then on defense, we talked about, you know, uh, in, in, do you put him in that same role at all? I mean, I, it seems kind of ludicrous to not do it at all. but Or do you hold that back for like the last month or month and a half of the regular season and ramp him up to be ready to go uh, in the postseason. And, you know, when you're talking about that approach with a guy in his third year, I mean, that's typically how you handle a guy who's 29, 30, 31, <laughs> you know, that, that maybe can't, you know, handle a full workload of, of like the primary responsibility like that. It's just, it's a little, it's a little uh, concerning, but, you know, all we can do is kind of, kind of wait and see what happens and, and hope that, um, this isn't going to be the chronic thing that I think we're all worried it, it, it could end up being. I I know like one kind of a cop a lot of people use has been OG and an OB and you know he's he kind of turned the corner uh, physically and and after you know so a lot of lost time his first two seasons if I recall correctly had a you know really good third season he ended up getting paid a, a you know a really good contract after that um but you know guys do turn the corner you know bradley bill turned had kind of chronic issues and he turned the corner um you know and so that you can look at guys who had similar type of issues in the first few years that uh through um whatever kind of um different uh process to use to kind of strengthen whether it's you know everything around uh, the the issue area and things like that but you know hopefully that'll be a similar story that we can look at some of those other guys that turn the corner that way and hopefully a year or two from now we look back and and like yeah remember when he was the first couple years in the league and he couldn't stay on the court as much as he wanted to that hopefully that's that's what's going on here but it's not an ideal time heading into year three you know a a high lottery draft pick to kind of kind of be at the status it's it's not what i think any of us would choose for sure and also like this is going to sound funny coming out of my mouth but i think it's also maybe true 
uh, it's almost easier to figure out what to do with a guy if it's a long-term like ACL injury, like a year-long injury. You just kind of have a year off with a meniscus that was kind of you know hit and miss and had some swelling and all that stuff. It's a little bit trickier for the training staff. It's not as straight ahead as like, all right, you're you're going to be out for a year or you're going to be out for nine months or ten months. This is one where they thought he might be back in a month. They thought he might be back in a few weeks, and it just wasn't that. So it could be a little bit tricky. But hopefully, again, he had he had all that time to get ready. He had, he had the procedure to clean up the meniscus and all that stuff. And uh, I think they're, you know, they're all saying the right things. And I think we're all excited about what he can do on the floor when he's ready. But that's one of the questions to be sure. I think uh, it's a good thing to good window to ask about this question, because we talked about Capella. We talked about Hunter. I was going to ask you this later, but I'll just do it now. Like about the two most high profile newcomers that are veterans and it's Gorgie and it's Delon Wright. Um, I think we talked about this offline some, but, uh, you know, it's kind of weird to say that DeLon Wright can help make up for some of the uncertainty with guys like Hunter or Herder or Bogdanovich coming back late, but I think that's actually kind of true. He's a very versatile player, and, yeah, backup point guard is what he's, you know, hired or traded for to do, but he's also 6'5 and can play the two and all that stuff. And then you could with, with Gorgie, it's very obvious, very clean. He's coming in to back up Capella and maybe even start if Capella can't play certain nights and all that stuff, so... What did you make of those additions and like what do you possibly see with those two guys adding to the rotation? Yeah, I mean, I thought they were pretty ideal, uh, especially considering, you know, the commitment they made to their cap last offseason and and what they had to work with this offseason. So, I mean, I've, you know, I I I think I I think Kevin and I got into a little bit, but um the conversation that you know, even if you have to scale Gorgie up to starting, say, say Cabela did have to miss, say, two or three weeks of time, you know, he, he's not going to, you know, keep the defensive performance wherever it is. Let's say they're, I don't know, just get hypothetical, like a top 12 defense or something, something like that. Um, you know, he's not going to keep, or top 10 or whatever. He's not going to keep them there, but he's going to keep them from falling all the way to like the 24, 25, uh, in my mind. Uh, and that's, really what you're looking for in a backup center who might need to scale up to starting for some time. Because um, to be honest about it, a lot of backup centers in the league, um, you know, coaches are trying to kind of really band-aid the heck out of those lineups, you know, 30 minutes or whatever it is of that guy for three, two, three, four weeks or whatever that is. It's really tough. And I think the nice thing about Gorgie is that he'll – uh, hopefully, you know, keep you near league average, you know, for that stretch potentially. Um, that's not a given, but but he has kind of the potential to kind of hold the line for a while like that. So I think that works well. I think it also helps that he can shoot a little bit, just gives them a little something different when he's on with Capella um, or, um, and or and when he's on with, I'm sorry, when he's on with Collins, not Capella. Uh, and then maybe when he's on with Gallo, you can kind of do a little bit different. He's a he's not a pick and pop guy. He's a more of a uh, spot up kind of center, um, but just just adds a little bit something different uh, to the mix. That's that's kind of nice, especially um, with what what Trey's skills are. When it comes to Delon, you know his versatility is so valuable. Um, I th- I think the primary thing to me is number one, if if DeAndre can't function as the point guard defender. DeLon can handle a lot of minutes of that. He's not a stopper. I don't. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. He's not a kind of a point guard stopper. He's not. Chris he's Dunn. just a credible competent. <laughs> no, he's not. He has some offensive skill too. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, but he can give you whatever, whatever 15 minutes or 18 minutes a night if you need that much. 
from him of just giving you credible, competent, uh, on guard, uh, on ball defense as, as, as kind of a defensive point guard. He's not just ordinary kind of mainstream. He's better than that. Um, but he's not this stopper, you know, that, that for example, Cam can kind of function for stretches as kind of, kind of a stopper, even if, uh, the consistency isn't, isn't all the way there. I think most coaches would rather have a guy like Delon Wright who they can get, you know, 15, 18 minutes of just good, credible, confident play at the point of attack and, and, and not have kind of the fluctuation of up and down sometimes, whether that's the right decision or wrong decision. Um, and then the nice thing about that is that that gives you flexibility when he's on with Trey. You can put Trey on whichever you know assignment makes the most sense for him. That works for Lou as well. If he needs to be on with Lou, Lou can shuffle off ball and kind of uh, go into a different role. Um, and then you know when he's on with Herder, you know for example, um, Herder can do so much on ball offensively, and he was so so good defensively last year in the postseason. But his cumulative workload was just insane uh in the playoffs last year and that might be part of why he's a little bit um you know kind of slow to get up to a full workload here too i imagine there may be some relationship there but if you need to kind of ease herder's workload on either or both ends delon can just he can do the uh, enough of what you would normally ask herder to do he can do enough of what uh, you know bogdanovich is sometimes asked to do he's not an elite shooter like bogdanovich but he's a good reliable shooter and then you can play him at the point guard position and then defensively you can move him around and so it's just it's just nice to have a piece that's that versatile it can do um you know uh, enough of what all these other different guys can do depending on who might be out depending upon you know what the situation is foul trouble or you know whatever it is just so nice to have a guy you can kind of move around move around like that that's where his value is so i think gorky has a specific role to scale up as needed depending on who might be missing while the Congo is out, if Capella has to miss time. But Delon is moving him around based upon Hunter status, Herder status, how well is Reddish playing? Is he playing well enough to earn 25 to 30 minutes a night, you know, somehow in the rotation, or is he not? Uh, can Lou play on any given night? Is Lou going to play more than like 50 games this year? And Delon's ability to move around and cover like all the different type of roles in the rotation, those guys can, um, you know, w- would normally um uh, fill in when they're available it, what an absolute luxury to have in, in a guy like that for this team yeah they have so much flexibility and that's you know it's kind of scary when you have four prominent guys coming back from injuries and working their way in but at the same time the calling card or at least one of the calling cards beyond Trey Young I guess on this team is just the depth and you know it's one of the deepest teams in the league they they seem to sort of note that at media day a couple a couple different guys did and Nate did as well they know how deep they are they know that's definitely a, a positive and Gives them some flexibility. Last year, of course, they had to use all that depth because they had so many injuries. But and knock on wood, that won't be the case again. But when when you go down into the bench and your you know your 11, 12, 13 guys are all capable of playing, you know, I mean, obviously we we can't go a podcast with you and I and not mention Solomon Hill by name. So Solomon Hill is on this team right. uh, still yeah. to provide that competence that he always brings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He had one DMP last year and uh, I, he played more games than anybody and. I know a lot of people were frustrated with him in, in the postseason, <laughs> but he he was doing what he could do, what he was capable of doing when called upon. I mean, this there, it's unfair to expect him to be really more more than that. But uh, you know, he will. He's a wonderful backstop at the three and the four, if you will, in the way that kind of Delon is the one in the in the, in the two. Even if Delon can scale up uh, in ways that Solo can't. 
Yeah, don't tell ESPN, which listed them as a, as a shooting guard on that depth chart today yep. that I made fun of on Twitter. Uh, that was a mess, by yep. the way. If you, if you didn't see that, ESPN's depth chart had uh, had Solomon Hill at the two. Uh, AJ Lawson was a small forward at 178 pounds. Uh, it was there's a lot going on there, which I thought uh, was a little quality issues. Right, before we move on from Delon, I, I too I, I want to point out so that your listeners kind of know to watch for this, maybe even the preseason. Oh yeah, but but he can he gives them more for the first time more of what Trey uh, does as a shooter um, and as a shot creator. Um, he he um, is one of the better uh, has one of the better floaters in the league. He, he doesn't. No one has the volume Trey has, um, but if he's good and confident in his floater, and he he was I think sixty five percent at the rim last year, um, and so that's something even that um, they've not been able to get consistently from Herder. Um, but Donovich can be a little bit shy to go in there sometimes, and so if you have a situation where the opposing defense is you know playing small lineups. Uh, running without a rim protector, Delon gives. It's, it's not just that Delon, Delon can. Oh, you're you're herder tonight, or you're herder in this with this lineup, and you're Bogdanovich with this lineup, or whatever. He can give you um, and continue doing a certain amount of the things that Trey does as the offensive engine at point guard that Brandon Goodwin couldn't do. Um, the Lou's not going to be that um, effective going inside and going to the rim. Um, you know, and so that is also a nice mix of of him being able to. Um, use the floater when that's what the defense is making available and to get to the rim and finish well um, when the other team is playing with a, um, a below average or without a rim protector altogether. So DeLon has value at the one as well, even though Trey kind of makes us forget that they um, could get value out of that. DeLon has a lot to offer there too, and I want to make sure that um, people can hear that. Absolutely. That's a, it's great to point out because, you know, they have so much versatility, but I agree. The rim pressure that he can put on, you know, Trey Young talked about it. He was asked about DeLon at Media Day and talked about how he, how DeLon's a t- has a tough cover. And obviously for Trey in particular, it's a size thing for him, I'm sure. But uh, Wright is difficult to guard. He's not a great shooter, but he's at least a capable one. And he is physical and a good ball handler and can get, get around get around the rim and the floater game that you mentioned and can finish at the rim. And he's a, he's a versatile piece on that end of the floor. Um, Oh, last thing before we go to some scheme stuff that I want to make sure that I ask you about. Uh, they also have Jalen Johnson, and we don't know yet on uh, anything with regard to how much he's going to play this year. That's The question everybody always asks me, as you might imagine, is how much is he going to play, and I don't really know the answer to that because they are so deep. But it also helps to have uh, another you know, uber-talented, you know, 6'8", 6'9", uh, great athlete, you know, a uh, very skilled player to throw out there. Even if he's not necessarily going to be ready because most rookies aren't ready to play um, just yet, um, he probably will play at some point. And I think it's uh, sort of a luxury item as well to have a guy like that who can just do a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, it, it's going to look different than it did in summer league because he was so the focal point of the offense so much. He's going to have to learn to be the fourth or fifth guy, most likely. Um, if he's playing real rotation minutes, um, that doesn't mean that they'll never um, kind of give him some opportunity to to initiate or create or whatever it is, whatever that is. But um, I mean, nice to have, uh, you know, all the questions I think that exist around the defensive end of the court. And I know he had great flashes in summer league. His defensive range was impressive. Um, his activity was good. He was, you know, really active and in, impactful as a rebounder. Um, but that's different from, uh, putting him into a Nate McMillan-led <laughs> team where the defensive assignment is um, 
non-negotiable, you know, and those sorts of things. So he's young, you know, he's one and done, didn't even be close to a full season at Duke. Um, and so he's, he should be pretty unpolished on the defensive in the court, but it doesn't mean that um, they can't um, get him ready to play now and then, uh, especially against a certain opponent that maybe doesn't have so much offense on the wing um, as other teams that, that would and things like that. So I think I, I'm guessing they'll kind of pick their spots with him. Like a lot of teams do with their young, uh, young rookies. Um, but I expect to have some, um, him to have some nice moments uh, across the season, even if his playing time is kind of up and down, uh, unless there's, you know, you know, injury uh, situation that none of us would wish upon any team, uh, especially this one. For sure. And I, I'm intrigued. Uh, I've joked uh, numerous times that the first time Nate McMillan plays Solomon Hill over Jalen Johnson, there might be a riot on Twitter, but it's probably going to happen at some point because – that's just uh, what Nate Nate likes uh, that consistency that guys like Solo bring, and uh, I do want to see Jalen Johnson. Everybody, everybody, everybody should want to see him. He's going to be very interesting, but he's still a rookie, and rookies are uh, a challenge for veteran veteran led teams as the Hawks are, and that'll be very interesting to monitor throughout the season. So we'll save that for yeah. the most part be, until later. NBA yeah. coaches love their veterans. It's just the universal truth. That is absolutely right, especially with regard <laughs> to Nate Miller, who's been around for a very long time. Okay, that is the end of part one of this two-part podcast. Again, I remind you to subscribe to the podcast and also click over to part two. Part two should be available in your feeds right now. So if you're not already subscribed, it's a great time to do so on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Odyssey, Google Podcasts, all those places. And again, part, this is part one that you just heard. Part two is available right now and we'll have much, much more to come on the Lawful Hawks podcast. We'll see you next time.